This is the 19th season of Bass Talk Live. BTL is presented by Bass Cat Boats, Striking Lures, Aftco, Pro Guide Batteries, X Zone Lures, Shoreline Boat and RV Repair, Spro, Gamakatsu, Big Bite Baits, The Bass Tank, Denali Rods, Beatdown Outdoors, and Sunline. BTL, coming at you. Good morning and welcome to another exciting edition of BTL Bass Talk Live, where we are going to talk about bass fishing. Recorded show today, been live for over a month now. Back to recorded shows. I am at the uh, the gauntlet of the Bassmaster Open EQ schedule right now. I'm currently at uh, Watts Bar, the juggernaut that is Watts Bar in Tennessee. I'm sure I'm furiously looking for 15 inches. Hopefully, I'm on them. But uh, we got a good show today. Uh, one of my favorite guests for the show. You know him from uh, the Deep Dive app, from Fish the Moment, and from uh, Bassmaster Casting Kids fame. It's none other than the one and only Johnny Schultz. Johnny, thanks for uh, for jumping on BTL for, uh, well, we're actually going to take a deep dive today into a number of different topics that I'm very excited to get into. For sure, Matt. Thanks for having me on. Uh, you ever fished Watts Bar before? I have not. I've heard that it's pretty good. Um, Wait, not- you've heard that Watts Bar is pretty good? So we're right now we're where this we're uh, recording this is uh, on the 5th. So okay. it, I don't start practice till Saturday, but everything that I've heard of the stats are that this thing is one of the stingiest late summer fisheries in the country. So I don't know. I maybe mixed reviews. I haven't fished over there. I just have heard that as some of the RTVA lakes are getting pressured and the whole Asian carp situation, everything Watts bar, it's like maybe a hidden gem. Maybe mm-hmm. I've been misinformed, but that's at least what I've heard. But- hidden gem. I have not heard that phrase to describe it yet. <laughs> I mean, hey, I think it's all about having some optimism, Matt, going to the Okay, okay I'm optimistic. And, you know, you don't really get wrapped in the doc talk. You know, you think you can catch 20 pounds. Maybe you can manifest it, catch 20 pounds. That's maybe the way to think about it. So the pattern is manifestation. Yeah, that's how, that's how I always do it on the lake, Matt. You just got to make the fish be there. I got you. Uh, we got a lot to talk about on today's show. There's a, there's like three or four main topics that I want to get into, and we're going to kind of take a deep dive in all of them. We'll do a quick we'll, we'll do a quick overview. You got some really cool stuff with the deep dive app that's coming out that's never before been seen. That you're actually going to debut uh, a working prototype, and I'm looking at this, seeing all sorts of opportunities on BTL today. Yep. Uh, we're going to uh, talk about you. You were ahead of this this trend this tackle trend you were ahead of the curve on this you were talking about this before jacob wheeler did what he did in the mlf on gunnersville with the hover rig the Demiki hover strolling for largemouth over brush piles i remember you called me one time just jacked out of your gourd about what you did at grand lake with this stuff uh and we're gonna dive into that that's right that timeline is correct right yeah yeah uh, Okay, uh, and then we're going to talk a little bit about uh, finding pelagic fish during the fall, which kind of leads into your offshore fishing playbook version two, which also will be debuted on BTL. Does that sound like we could cover an hour in that, Johnny? <laughs> sure, maybe uh, maybe a couple, but I'll try to keep it short on all that stuff. 
All right, let's start out with the uh, with the strolling deal because this was now that the the season is is wrapped up. The only thing really that's left on the schedule there's a couple NPFLs left on the schedule as well as a Toyota Series Championship. Would not be surprised if some of those are won or contending for the win using this Demiki strolling technique. But uh, when you were on, you were on. Uh, BTL way earlier this year and talked about it. And then even last year talked with me about it. You and Matt Steffen with uh, core tackle have the hover rig hook. That's been, how long has that been out now? Has that been out a year already? Uh, not quite. We came out in February, but honestly we had production or we had like prototypes and all that stuff starting last July. So, I mean, we've been working on this for a long time. So it's been a year. We, we've had the prototypes and had the, like the product in our hand for over mm-hmm. a year now. I have not unlocked this. To me, this technique is like the Biffle bug was like <laughs> six, seven years ago for me. I knew guys were catching them on it. I've got them in the boat. I fish them in areas they should work. I have not been able to figure it out. You have though. So I have. So that's kind of gets into my whole like system that I wanted to talk about later in the video. Maybe we can jump into it now. Honestly, yeah. Can we combine two of the two? Yeah, let's do that. So like, okay. okay. So here's, let me lay it out for you, Matt. So basically. From 2011, basically, through 2021, I fished pretty much the same system and same style for offshore fishing, literally 10 years straight. And I was actually kind of a late adopter to the live scope game. I didn't get it on my boat right away. I mm-hmm. had you know John Sokup over uh, when he was with the bass tank telling me, got to get live scope, got to get live scope. And I was still catching offshore fish, you know, my old school. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, honestly, up until 2021, I had a eight-year-old Humminbird Onyx unit and a 12-year-old Humminbird 998 with 2D sonar only. That was what I was running. 998. That's like the OG. <laughs> OG. So that's the two graphs I was running. I was making all my YouTube videos, offshore fishing, all that stuff without live scope. So my system, and I made this thing called the offshore fishing playbook, which is a digital guide I saw on my website. And I've sold, you know, a, a lot of copies of that. But basically the, the idea behind it is that I would, if I had to summarize it in like, 30 seconds, I would find areas that had either cover, bait fish, or fish. And then you'd have two of those three variables present. So bait fish and cover, bait fish and fish, or fish and cover. So if you could find a combination of those three elements, then you fished as many of those types of areas as possible in a given fishing day, spending no more than 10 minutes on each spot you give yourself a very good chance of catching fish. And it's all this, it's kind of this probabilistic model. Well, the, the idea would be if you can spend 10 minutes per spot, 60 minutes in an hour, so you can fish six spots per hour. You have eight hours of fishing. You can fish about 50 spots in a day. And with these offshore areas, if you could fish, you know, these uh, 50 spots or, you know, however many that mm-hmm. is, close to 50 spots in a day, you only needed two or three of those spots usually to pay off because a lot of times you're fishing offshore you'll catch two three fish per spot and that's how i made my system work and i would just graph till i found a spot with those two of those three elements i'd make five six casts on it and i move on and it worked for me through my college fishing days when i was fishing in high school fishing it's kind of i developed it kind of on my own and i was pretty confident it was pretty good uh but I didn't really know how good it was until I started watching Brian Thrift dominate. That's exactly what I thought in my head. I was like, dude, you just described Thrift's pattern. It's Thrift's pattern. And it's one of those things where when I'm graph offshore, I don't care about whether I'm fishing a giant brush pile, a small brush pile, a stump. As long as it's 
a piece of cover. It could be literally the size of a bucket, but like any piece of cover with bait or fish around it or vice versa or whatever, Mm -hmm. I'm going to fish it. And Thrift had a streak where he had 70 limits in a row, 70 competition fishing days in a row. It's a limit of bass. Insane. It's just, it's out of this world. And that's how he was fishing. And I was like always following Thrift because I was like, man, his fishing style is like exactly what I do. Mm-hmm. And that style worked all the way up until about 2021 for me. It still works now. But the problem with that technique in that style is that there's only certain areas of a lake where it will work most of the time. So let's say I'm on Grand Lake in Oklahoma. I might have to cover 15 to 20 miles of a lake to find a 200 yard, maybe a one mile zone of the lake where the fish are really aggressive or they're, where they're feeding a- on active the and active and it could work. So I'll start by the dam down by Grand Lake and I'll run all the way up to Honey Creek at some time, which is a 20 mile run sometimes to get up there. And I might only find them in one zone. And I catch all my fish in like, let's say 30 minutes of the day. I'll mm-hmm. hit one little zone. That I catch them. That's very difficult to do, especially if it's windy, especially for yeah. like an average angler to go out there and do that. And so my system worked really well for me. And it was very consistent for videos, making content, doing what I do. And I'm not fishing tournaments. So I just did it to make my YouTube videos. So I'm consistently making content, you know, for my my job. Now that I'm doing it full time. Well, 2021 rolled around and I got the live scope. And live scope completely changed my perspective on all of this for two reasons. One you could see that there are so many fish in all these areas that are following your bait, getting interested in your bait and are not biting before that. I would know I'm fishing around fish because I graphed them with side imaging, down imaging, things like that. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't able to tell if the fish were following my bait, if the, how they were reacting to it. All this so you stuff. weren't getting a true picture. Correct. You were so seeing would, like you were at the art show, but you're only seeing like a corner of the painting instead of the entire painting. Exactly. And so I'm rolling up and I'm making my five casts. And if that fish is going to bite, he's going to bite. And if he doesn't bite, I've realized over countless hours that like probably not going to make him bite. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay, how can I integrate this live scope deal into my system? And I literally spent from 2021 until like right now trying to integrate live scope in my system. And I can tell you, I've had some great days on the water, but I've had more bad days on the water over the last two years. And I've had good days because I've been trying to experiment and learn with this live scope. And I've actually feel like overall, if I had stuck to my old system, I would have probably caught more fish and done better overall. But all of those failures have helped me learn a ton about live scope. And now I have a brand new system where I basically have a way that I can integrate live scope. And the thing about it that's cool, Matt, is I don't have to leave a section of the lake anymore. I can just drop myself in one section of a lake use this system and I can catch fish in any section of the lake, any time of the year. And I don't have to move around. It works just where I'm at. So if you want to fish drowning, you could stay in drowning. If you want to fish a duck, you could stay in duck. If you want to fish honey, you can stay in honey. Now you're maximizing your productive time on the water. And it wasn't possible before with my old system. Now I'm a big numbers guy. So I, I log all my fish catches. I log all of what I'm doing. So I know where I'm going, what I'm doing. So I look at the data of it. And mm-hmm. again, it's for me, fishing is like probability. So I'm trying to increase my odds of catching fish using probability as much as possible. That's my style. And it's just, for me, it just helps me catch as many fish as possible for videos. Cause that's, again, if I go out for a day and don't catch fish in it for a video, it's a waste of day for me. Just like if mm-hmm. you go try to sell something and you're a salesperson, you don't sell a car or whatever. It's a bad day. So you have to, you know, make it work. 
So I thought Brian Thrift called this the CPS cigarettes per spot. <laughs> I thought he was I thought he was a cigarette per spot, and then that's how he figured out when it was time to move was I when mean, that one was done. It was time to go hit the next little piece of brush. Dude, seriously, I would I would <laughs> set an alarm on my phone for 10 minutes. And I when I was learning this, I set an alarm for 10 minutes on my phone. When that alarm went off, I reeled my bait up, pulled the troll motor, and left. And so is this new version still based around the three principles of cover? bait fish and bass it is it is okay um so okay so this is how i see it now so when before what i would do is i would say okay i'm going to find the area of the lake where my style is working and i might run all over the lake to make it happen well now i'm focused on trying to get the fish to bite that are in the area and i kind of i know you're a sooners fan matt football is yep. big i'm sure there's a lot 73 of to nothing there we go. So I'm not the, you know, deep, deep into football, but I know enough about football, you know, play football in high school. I know enough about what's going on. So I want to give you guys an analogy to football. And even if you're not a big football person on this, I'm not going to go super deep That's into it. We do on BTO, we do sports analogies. Yeah, it's, I can't do bowling. I'm not Jeffries over here, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm going to I'm gonna try the football angle. So, okay. Speaking so, of which, we now sponsor the uh, – SNU bowling team. We're an official BTL is an official sponsor of the SNU bowling team. It's going to be on the website. We're going to be listed as a contributing sponsor to the SNU bowling team. So now all BTL listeners have a rooting interest in collegiate bowling. All right. That's just a little Matt, side can you note. Get the BTL that. printed on the ball. Does that work? Or is that against regulations? I don't know how that works on the, on the ball. I'm thinking glow in the dark ball. Like that would be great. BTL, like glow in the dark. Uh, I don't know. That might be looked at like a push button in tournament scene. Oh, that's true. Okay. Well. <laughs> it might be like the old Zebco 33 on Derby day. <laughs> there we go. Good deal. So, okay. All right, so this sorry. is how I think about it. And you're good. So, okay. Here's how I think about it. So when you get, when you get on the football field and you get lined up uh, quarterbacks there, the coach is going to call play. You look at the defense. What's the defense going to give you? There could be a bunch of different defenses that they could be running cover one, cover two, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So, in football, let's say you have four different options, and there's a lot more options, but you have four general options. Let's say you can just straight up run the ball. You can maybe get in shotgun and throw a pass, put three, four wide receivers out wide, just go for a pass. Maybe you can do play action where you fake the run, then throw the ball, or you screen. So you let the defenders come in, throw it over the top of them for a screen, you know, get some blocks, and you go. So those are like four potential genres or categories of plays now okay. within that there's a million things you can do you can run sweeps you could do a bootleg you know for the past there's a lot of different things you can do within that but let's just keep those four categories and basically depending on what you're doing in football you can rely on maybe one of those four maybe there's five or six again i'm not like a football offensive coordinator or something like that but let's just for an example like you could be for example you have these four options and you can audible at the line. So you're, you're your quarterback, you can audible to a run, you can audible to play action, whatever it is to get yourself in a position to best succeed against the defense. Yep. So what I've done is I've developed basically four schemes that I can use on the lake. And I've been experimenting with them now again for two years now and really hard for the last like eight months. And I've been doing it. I haven't talked really about this much to anybody because I've been, 
I like to figure stuff out first before I just start talking about it. Yeah. Uh, that's my deal. I like to get the metrics, get the data behind it. I'm and then the share opposite, it. Johnny, just the opposite. I just like to talk about it and then go see if what I said made any sense. But <laughs> that's why you, that's why you do what you do and I do what I do. Well, so it's, I mean, it's, it's to me, I feel like if you put out wrong information, it sends people down wild goose chase. I'd rather go down the wild goose chase myself yeah. and figure it out and then share what I feel like is more accurate. That's Noted. my uh, <laughs> much, much more responsible. <laughs> <laughs> well, also like I, I feel, I don't know. I, I feel this obligation if I'm going to share Maybe that's just me. That's just how I feel about it. No, that's like, what you do for your career. I mean, like you said, you listened to previous BTLs, you left a very lucrative job and career in corporate America to do this. So, I mean, you got to do it with the same integrity and passion as you would do a nine to five. For sure. Well, that's, that's how I think about it. So, okay. So I have these four categories. I haven't pulled up here just some notes just to make sure I get everything right. So here's my four categories, Matt. And these four categories you can implement on any section of any lake across the country in any time of the year. And you can get fish to bite. I'm, I, it's a very bold statement, but I feel very confident in that, that these four can be purposed across. Now, each individual like play or scheme or whatever I'm going to be talking about here has a lot of nuance to it. There's a lot of variations. There's a lot of other stuff that goes into it. So I'm going to kind of break it down. It's kind of complicated, but that's why I'm making a playbook with it and not just, you know, putting it out uh, here. So my four groups are offshore flipping. Schools of bass, offshore wolf packs, and isolated bass. So I'm. These are working titles that I just put okay. to refine them when I make the playbook. But these are the four groups. So let me explain what these are. So offshore flipping. What is offshore flipping? What I've found for myself, especially since I got live scope, is that. A lot of the areas I used to fish, let's say it's brush piles or stumps or whatever, I used to think I have to stay 100 feet away from these fish. I need to bomb a big worm or a football jig, stay away from them, and you know that's how I'm getting to bite. The more and more I'm using the live scope, the more you can see those fish react to your bait. And I'm realizing that you can get like 30 feet away from these brush piles or stumps or whatever and pitch a jig or a worm or a necko rig or a drop shot. And if those fish want your bait, they're just going to come over and they're just going to hammer it. It doesn't matter if your boat's 30 feet away. And if you think about it, when you're fishing off or up shallow and you're flipping, are you staying a hundred feet away from the bank and throwing a jig up to the bank when you're flipping? No, you're literally getting within 20, 30 feet of those areas and just flipping your bait. And those fish are so mm -hmm. easy. You don't need to be that far away from them. So what I've realized is that I can be a lot more efficient by getting closer to these areas. And basically what I'm doing is graphing and finding stumps, brush piles, rock piles, laydowns, whatever things are there. Mm -hmm. graphing them with side imaging, marking all the areas that have either fish or bait around them. So if I can find a piece of cover that either has fish or bait around it, I mark it. I go to that area and I pick up a variety of baits depending on the year. If it's winter time, I'm throwing either a Demiki rig, jerk bait, Alabama rig. If it's pre-spawn time, uh, I might be throwing a big spinner bait. You can throw scribble crank bait, deep dive crank baits, whatever, Carolina rig. Spawn, Carolina rig, wacky worms, whatever it is so on and so forth. And you have different baits you can throw that work better in different situations. But I'm not getting super far from these objects. I'm working it. I'm thinking about it. Okay. I'm Tommy Biffle up a Creek or Denny Brower up a Creek, 1995 Bassmaster classics. And I am flipping, but I'm doing it offshore and I'm scanning first with side imaging, marking this stuff, and then going through with the live scope, pitching to these objects. And I'm catching a ton of good fish doing that. And that is my first option. Now, does this always work? No, 
It does not always work, and it's not always the best way to catch the biggest fish in the lake. But usually, this is one of the four options that mm -hmm. does work. So I will experiment with this, let's say, for 20, 30 minutes when I first get to the lake, graph down a flat or an area, mark 10 pieces of cover. I'll fish all 10 of them super fast and make three casts per object. And if I catch two fish, boom, I'm going to start doing it. If I get zero bites, I'm done. I'm not going to do that. And I'm going to move on to another, another option. So that's option one. What do you that's amazing. I was just thinking, I can't remember aside from like a jerk bait, which I might cast 50 or 60 feet out to get it down. I've done a lot of offshore fishing on brush piles this year. I cannot think of a time that I did a legit, honest overhand cast. Like that is a dying thing. Everything yep. is this. Everything's a pitch, a little roll cast, a flip to it, accurate, putting it to a fish in the brush or to the edge of the brush to draw a fish back or a short cast to get the jerk bait down over the brush. You're right. The casting aspect is it's flipping. Flipping and pitching. It's offshore flipping. It's all, I mean, it's all like this. I mean, with my spinning rod, I mean, I'm yep. throwing a drop shot and I'm just doing, I'm doing this. Yep. So, and that's something that like, you know, Brian Thrift is doing and Paul and Nick were doing with 360 imaging. That's why they're always saying 360 is a must for their boat. They were doing the same mm -hmm. thing with 360. I was doing the yep. same thing with waypoints back in the day. So it's not like it's yep. new. This is not new, but with live scope, it, you can be a little bit more efficient with it because you can just see the yep. fish at the brush and you can say oh that fish is swimming around in the back half of the brush i need to pitch that thing 50 feet it lands right in front of the fish's face you watch it eat the bait yep. catch it, you know okay so that's option one and option two is going to be traditional offshore schools of bass so this is tennessee river ledge fishing you know big schools of fish in this situation dots. i found what's up dots 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 on the screen dotted up you see them on side imaging see them all over those grains of rice on the side scan you see them all over there good to go these fish are still caught in my opinion best with the traditional method which is to stay 70 80 100 feet away from them bomb your cast at them stay away the best you can hit the timing right whether the current is flowing whether you need the wind it's the sun whatever it is this is stuff that KVD has been doing 2007, 2008, Kentucky Lake, Pickwick, you know what I mean? Wheeler, Decatur Flats. Like this is old school ledge fishing schools of fish and it still works. The thing is, is that these schools of fish are getting tougher to catch in my opinion. And they're getting hit by more anglers because they're just so much easier to find with all the electronics. So I would say that this accounts for less than 20% of the fish that I catch offshore nowadays are these schools of fish, but you can still get them to bite like Wheeler is doing with the Demiki rig over the top of them on the Tennessee river. You can employ some different tactics and things to make them bite. But really with these offshore schools of fish, you don't necessarily need the live scope to make this work because the school is just sitting where it's sitting. You just need to stay away from them, hit the timing, right? Pick the right bait. And this really hasn't changed since, you know, in the past 15 years, it's the mm -hmm. same as it's been 15, 20 years. It's just making it, it's a little bit trickier to get these fish to bite due to pressure. So that's play number two. Okay. I'm okay. Play number me. three is offshore wolf packs on bait fish. So yeah. this is your traditional, like when you were on uh Rayburn, and you're out there in the middle and you're watching yep. fish go underneath the balls of bait fish and they're three or four fish wolf packing underneath them. Catch them Eye of the fish. tiger. Exactly. You see them going and they bust through and there's a big hole in the shad and you throw your bait in there and you catch them. And that's something that guys been doing now with LiveScope for years, you know, I'd say years, like three, four or five years now. That's a pretty 
common way of catching fish. It's not always effective because normally you're going to either find fish that are wolf packed up in like little ones, or you're going to find ones that are big ones. Sometimes you can find big ones mixed with the little ones, but like, let's say, you know, in these first three plays, you might find that those offshore flipping fish are not working. These schools of fish are all small, but for whatever reason, those offshore wolf packs that have all the five to seven pounders are out there mm -hmm. offshore wolf packing and you can catch those fish, but you may also have only small ones out there and all the bigger ones are set up in a school or the bigger ones are set up around offshore stumps and brush piles. Mm -hmm. So in a given area, there's probably going to be quality fish somewhere, but they may just be doing one of these three out of the four things. And the fourth thing is the newest thing, but that's the third thing. Okay. So the off, so a lot of times also, if those first two aren't working, it's because they're offshore chasing bait and Correct. they they're adjacent to or close to where they would set up as a school, but they're active, they're pulled off, they're taking advantage of the bait that's pushed up yes. or they're living in that brush pile, but they're going during feeding times, maybe because of current, because of bait fish positioning and wolf packing on these bait fish. So that's your third option. Okay. That makes total yeah. sense. This, this fourth one is, this is the, this is the, the, uh, God, I have to use the term. This is the game changer. The game. Changer. Is there any other phrase to use other than game changer? This, this, is, is, this the, is the game changer. So this okay. is the one that makes it so that, you can stay in one area and catch fish without yep. this fourth one. You would still have to run around and find stuff. Mm -hmm. And that is isolated bass in no man's land. I call it <laughs> no man's land. Yeah. This is the one that drives the traditionalist up a wall. Yes. So this is fishing for one fish and you're just finding that one fish. You go to the flattest banks or you go over the middle of the Creek channel. And these fish are not chasing bait. They're not grouped up in wolf packs of four to five, six fish. They're neutral. It's one fish just out there by itself. Literally a lone wanderer out there. And we have no idea why. No idea but why. But it's out yet, there. But they're out there. So these fish, this is how I, I've, I've spent so much time fishing for these fish, Matt, this year. And I've had so many bad days because I've not been able to figure it out. But I finally figured it out of how Ooh. to get these fish to actually go and what to do and how to kind of do it. It's very hard. It's not easy, but here's what I figured out. Main thing is one, you're not going to get every single one of these fish to bite. It is not possible. You can try different baits on and everything like that, but I just, maybe it is possible if you have 12 baits, you can throw at these fish, but by the time you chase that fish around and move and follow them, it's just not worth it. So what I do is I just pick out, one bait and that's the only bait i throw at these fish and that's for me going to be the hover rig that's like my favorite bait if they're suspended zero to 10 feet from the surface so i'm going to hover rig them if they're zero to 10 feet if they're 10 to 20 feet i'm going to a traditional demiki rig the demiki rig gets down there a little bit faster gets to those fish easier and then if you go 20 plus feet of water even deeper than that you can go ice fishing jigs you can go spoons things that's like the that. cody huff deal Cody Huff deal. You can also catch some of these fish if they're feeding on bigger shad. You can catch them on a big glide bait if you want to go for bigger fish, a big magnum flutter spoon, eight inch flutter spoon if they're feeding on big gizzard shad. Zaldane. Or, yeah, Zaldane. <clears throat> so, like 10 to 20 feet might be a magnum flutter spoon, zero to 10 feet might be the big glide bait mm -hmm. if they're feeding on eight inch, 10 inch gizzard shad. So, there's some nuance there in baits, but I pick one of those baits based on the scenario. And what I'm doing is I'm trying to throw it as many of these fish as possible. And the way I do this is I have to find an area where 
a stretch where you might be able to see one fish every two and a half minutes, or if it's a good day, one fish every five minutes. And what I mean by a good day is if they're biting, and this is like the odds, the probability, this is where I get nerdy about this stuff, but think about this. My goal is to cast on one bass every five minutes, let's say. That would be 12 bass every hour that I'd be casting on. And that's 96 bass per day in an eight-hour day. If I can get one out of every 10 of those bass to bite, I'm going to have a good day. I'm going to catch my limit. One out of every 10, you know, you'll get actually like 10 fish to bite, which is mm -hmm. probably what you kind of need from a tournament perspective, especially if you lose a fish or you miss mm -hmm. one or whatever. So if you can get one out of every 10 of these bass to bite, you need to be casting at a bass every five minutes. Now that means you can go five minutes between casting at a bass, which mm -hmm. happens at times, but you're only literally making a hundred, maybe 200 casts a day. Cause you're making a couple casts at that fish. And if it commits, it'll come up and it will just shark your bait and eat it. Mm -hmm. And you might be able to kind of coerce them to bite with like a jerk bait or a hover rig or something like that. And kind of, there's ways you can get them to bite. That's like retrieve bait color, bait size. There's some things in there that are not just, you know, there's some juice, some secret juice in there. It's not all, you know, just cast at them, but mm -hmm. that's, if you can get one in 10, that's a really good day. That's a now, phenomenal day. Let's say that you're more realistic and you get one out of every 20 to bite, which means you're casting on 20 bass and you only get one out of every 20 bass you cast at to bite. That means you need to be casting at a bass every 2.5 minutes, two and a half minutes, every two and a half minutes, you're casting at a bass if one in 20 bite, which is probably more realistic. And this is what I've been doing on Beaver Lake. What I've been doing is I've been getting out on these long gravel points and stuff like that, uh, over the Creek channel, all kinds of stuff. I'm taking my hover rig and I'm catching big smallmouth, big spotted bass, big large mouth. And for beaver, these are like two and a half to three pounders, which I know on most that's lakes, a one, but like uh, that's if a, you get that's a big beaver, you're getting a top five in any tournament. So what I'm doing is I'm going around and I'm just literally getting on these giant flat points over the Creek channel, whatever. And I'm just scoping around, scoping around, scoping around. And there's certain areas of the lake, certain sections where you're going to have more fish. They're doing it. Some areas have less and sometimes they're more aggressive. Sometimes they're less aggressive. And that's why this is one of the plays, because usually what I find is that if the offshore flipping isn't working, the schools of bass are not set up. The fish are not chasing on the offshore wolf packs around the bait fish you can catch these isolated fish on most days as long as you're around enough fish. Now, the thing about these is that all of these are effective at catching fish. Now, are they the best way to catch the biggest bag in every tournament? No. The section of the lake still does matter. Mm -hmm. So, like, you might go to one area of the lake and one of these four is working and you could catch maximum 18 pounds of fish. Well, maybe in another section of the lake, there's a guy who can catch 22 pounds of fish using one of these four techniques. That and happened at Rayburn in the open. Yeah. My buddy Austin Cranford, top 10. He was 20 miles down lake, closer to the dam, and the fish he was scoping on a jerk bait were two and a half to five pounders. I was up by the bridge. The fish I was scoping were one and a half to three pounders. He made the top 10. I finished 35th. So this is the same thing. And so this is where the next piece of this comes in, which is what I'm very good at for my old school style is, can you determine the size of the fish with your electronics before you start implementing these methods? Or while you're implementing them, can you determine the size of the fish? So what I 
usually say is within two hours of a, of getting to the lake, maybe three hours, depending on how tough and how big the lake is and whatever. And within two to three hours, I can determine which of these four methods is going to be the most effective. And I can usually determine the top end potential of that area. Are there a lot of three to five pounders in the area? And I do that with 2D sonar. I do that with live scope. I do that with uh, side imaging. There's lots of tricks you can use to determine size of the fish. And I've also been recently putting an aqua view camera on my boat and I've been dropping the aqua view <laughs> kind of see, you know, validate what I'm seeing. And most of the time I would say I'm like 90% accurate on like, I think this is a three to four pounder. I drop the camera on it. It's a three to four pounder. So I'm using that as more of a validation piece because I already kind of know what I'm doing with that, but you know, it helps still, but I can determine in three to four hours, you know, two to three hours if a spot's good or a section of the lake is good. Well, for me in videos, I don't fish for three, four days to get one video. Like if I go to an area of the lake, I will go catch those fish. Even if the top end potential is 13 pounds. Cause that's, mm -hmm. it took me three hours. Now I have three hours to go catch those fish, make a video be done. But if you're in a tournament scenario, let's say you were practicing for an open and you had four days, five days, you might be able to check two areas per day with this method, spend four or five hours per area. You do that for three, four days. You could potentially determine which of these four techniques is working. And also you can determine a backup because a lot of times these plays are situational, just like in football, maybe the first half you can run the ball, you know, up the gut and just gash him for a bunch of yards. But then halftime, the team makes an adjustment and now you have to switch over and do some play action or whatever. So same thing happens with fishing. Sometimes those isolated offshore wolf packs, they're chasing bait are great for the first four hours of the morning. And then in the second half of the day, the offshore flipping turns on or the school starts setting up better in the afternoon because the current starts flowing. And so it's all fluid and it's all, it's moving, but the, and I know this is, there's a lot going on here and I get it and it's fishing is complicated and I'm trying to make it as simple as I can. But the idea with all of this is that if you can pull these right levers or these right plays at the right time, you can find fish and catch fish on any section of the lake, any time of the year, you need to be using the right baits. You need to be doing the right thing. It's not like you can just go out there and just do this. I, I'm making it seem very straightforward, but it does work. No, uh, I've been smiling while you describe this. So I'm, uh, uh Let's try to do this as as an anonymously or inoculously as possible. I don't want to give away all the goods. Uh, but me and my me and my buddy Austin, we're on a bit of a heater in the Thursday nighters. Yeah. I think we've won. I think we fished seven and we've won six of them. And uh, we have a system. This is this is no BS. He and we both stand on the front deck. I do number one, offshore flipping. He focuses exclusively for three hours on number four, isolated roamers. We stay in a portion of the lake that allows me, I know where the isolated structure is, and I flip a slow-moving bait to it while he takes a scope and pans out. This is no joke. This is how it works. He gets one to two fish to commit a night and casts every. 30 seconds he's gone eat it eat it eat it oh dang it nope gone not sure that was a bass but every thursday he'll have one go she got it and it's a four plus mm -hmm. every thursday i'll have three to four on the isolated flipping i'll say got it and we either have to go in and get it it breaks me off 
I land it. It's a smaller keeper because that's not where the big ones are, or I catch a rogue big one in there. Yeah. We're doing one and four exclusively. He's casting to 75 to 100 to get one to commit, and I'm making 40 to 50 offshore flips to get one to commit. And when you combine those two, it's four to five bites with two big bites a night. And it works like a freaking charm. It's exactly, exactly what you just described. Except the, the numbers is, are actually more realistic than one out of 10 biting it. It's like yeah, one out yeah, of 80, it, one out of nine. And we're doing that in three hours. So if you extrapolate that out to eight hours, that's a sack of fish then. Exactly. And the thing is, is like, for example, your lake that you're fishing, I don't know what it is. I'm not going to say, you know, it doesn't matter. But maybe those isolated fish and those offshore flipping, that's great on that lake. But for example, I know yeah. my buddy Jimmy from the Bass Fishing Declassified YouTube channel that fished the moment mm -hmm. or fished the moment. He's been crushing them around brush piles, but on offshore wolf packs, they're suspended around the bait fish around the brush piles. And he's just seeing these isolated small wolf packs and he's flipping a big magnum spoon to him and he's catching 20 to 25 pounds a night. And you'll catch one or two fish out of the brush piles and then one or two fish on the wolf packs. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's the wolf pack and the offshore flipping. Maybe it's the schools of fish plus the offshore wolf packs or plus yep. the isolated kind of like what um i forget who it was there was a couple of the guys who were doing this on gunnersville when wheeler won but they were Jordan basically Lee. going around the ledges and they weren't fishing for the schools they're fishing for the suspended big ones those isolated roamers throwing yep. jerk baits on them and mm -hmm. they were able to catch some good ones too so it's this system it works the thing about it is that I, I, i'm 100 percent behind it it absolutely works but every thursday we're very frustrated the entire night and then at the end of the night you know the 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 statistical whatever you want to call it the statistics we throw it as many and here's what i did i went out in my boat for a couple nights and i graph 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 so i know the stretches where i can have five or six little stobs brush piles pieces of something underwater so i know when i'm making my flips he can just scan over give me an idea of where it is i'll sit there and flip off the right side of the boat while he fishes for roamers off the left side of the boat 100 percent. and the thing is that it's you know the probability like we talked about you might take you for your lake it's one in 80 fish you cast at yeah so in that case you need to be casting at a lot of freaking fish to make that work so you have to be around a lot of fish and the thing about it to me is or a couple of things with this one, this system works really well. If you can quickly determine which of these is working and if it's producing quality fish, and that is not easy to do. That takes a lot of experience and time on the water. So it's not like you can just take this system. Anyone can take it and just go do it. You still have to know how to use your electronics, how to use the live scope, how to graph for stuff. See how to what set you're up seeing. It's a lot of stuff. Present your bait, bait correctly. hundred percent. So it's hard and it, it's hard, even though the system works, it's very consistent. I mean, I was on Grand the other day. I had one fish straighten out my hook on a, uh, a big worm, and I broke off another one. I think both of them were five-plus just from the way they were pulling. And, you know, this is Grand in August, and then I caught other fish on the isolated, the wolf packs chasing bait. Mm -hmm. I would have had like 18 pounds if I had landed those two fish in the brush, or, you know, probably anywhere from like 16 to 20 pounds, depending on how big the fish were. But, like, it works even in the toughest conditions on lakes that are heavily pressured, but it's a commitment. It's a full day thing. And the other thing I will say is that it is live. This system is live scope dependent. And I know there's a lot of drama right now about 
should we ban live scope? Should we not ban live scope? I say of the drama, you know, that uh, some of the people that uh, work fish at the moment and do work with fish at the moment, they, um, they, they have very strong stances on live scope and things like that. And I don't necessarily, you know, I, I don't really get in the drama. I just focus on the facts. I'm a, you know, facts over feelings type person usually and the probability and stuff like that. And what I've found is that live scope, is very effective. It works really well and it makes it easier for me to do my job, which is to find these fish. Now it's not a cure all. It doesn't make the fish jump in the boat for me, but it is very effective. And it's to the point now where everyone is getting exposed to it, even though they don't have it, they're getting exposed to it. And I felt like it was my responsibility as a content creator, as an educator of fishing to learn and to implement it into my system. Now you can take one and two offshore flipping and schools of bass you can take those first two and you can still go catch a pile of offshore fish without live scope. I can promise you that because I've been doing it and I have the receipts on my YouTube channel for six years where I literally never had live scope and I was catching offshore fish in all of my videos with outdated electronics using the waypoint method, using marker buoys, old school stuff. Those two pieces of information still are valid and, vi and viable, but you have to cover way more water. You have to you're a lot more imprecise with your casting. There's a lot of things that just make it not as effective. So if you're going to compete in a tournament situation, or you're just trying to go out in an eight hour day and just have as much fun as possible and catch as many fish as possible, this live scope system, the system, at least it includes live scope. My new system is more consistent, more reliable, and you will catch more fish. And that's just a fact. And I don't think anyone will dispute that. If you don't want to do it, though, I mean, when I make my my version two of my playbook, yeah. I'm going to separate it into these are the ways you can do this without the live scope. If you want to just know that the odds are not in your favor as much as they are if you have the live scope. That's really good. Uh, the offshore fishing playbook version two. That'll be up on fish the moment. I yeah, I'm st still working process progress, Matt. I'm just kind of sharing it with you. Is guys this the now. first time that you've really dove into first the version time I've ever two? Talked about it. I'm gonna I'm gonna add a lot more of like which baits to throw when, water clarity conditions. Right. There's a lot more I throw into that, so it's not it's gonna be more like tactical too. Or when you take it out there, it's like okay, if the fish are doing this or this or this or this, here's some suggestions on how to do it. So it's gonna be a pretty in-depth, detailed document once I finish it. I haven't gotten to that point yet. I'm just finalizing like the. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. I really <laughs> am. That's it's 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 very functional. It's very sure. functional. It puts a little framework around your day on the water, so you always feel like you're working towards or doing something instead of just randomly trying to figure out what's going on. It adds some structure to your day on the water. Well, it helps. I think it helps. Kind of um, helps people realize that failure is part of fishing because yeah. if you're really thinking about like the way I think about fishing is, but it's productive failure. Because yeah, exactly. you're eliminating. If I if I fish 18 spots, it's not, man, these fish aren't biting. It's, ooh, I fished 18 spots. That means I have a really good chance in the next two spots I fish that I'm actually going to catch one. Mm -hmm. I think about it that way versus, man, I've gone 18 spots without catching a fish. I'm like, wow, the odds are probably that I'm going to run into one pretty soon. Johnny Schultz, deep dive app, fish the moment, author of the Offshore Fishing Playbook version one and very soon version two. We're going to take our first break of the day when we come back. Uh, we're going to dive. We're going to take a deep dive into deep dive. How's that sound? Sounds great. All right, BTL, we'll be back right after this. The new Puma STS has been redesigned from the ground up. With the angler, design, function, and performance in mind, nothing on this new offering was compromised 
and the only thing carried over from the previous version is the name. Based on the soft touch series hull that started with the flagship Jaguar, this new model is nimble and performs incredibly well at all speeds with either a 250 or 300 horsepower engine. Featuring a new 96 inch wide body footprint, this hull measures out at 20 foot 7 inches in length. Industry leading design coupled with tournament winning performance. The Puma STS from Basscat. Feel the rush. Series Pro Daryl Gleason here. My Pro Guide batteries keep me going on those long tournament days and long practice days. Always plenty of juice, never fail. The best part about Pro Guide batteries, it's the people behind the company. They have over 40 years experience in the battery business, keeping all of us fishermen out on the water longer, catching more fish. Check them out at ProGuideBatteries.com. What's up, Bass Talk Live fans? Brandon Polinick here. And ever since I won a couple Bassmaster Elite Series events on X-Zone Lures, I've been getting a bunch of questions of what makes them so special and different. And really, the truth is, it's in the details. The little details, things like no cheap fillers in their plastic, that gives you more lifelike action, more realistic and vibrant colors. But don't just take my word for it. Go to www.xzonelures.com and check them out for yourself. Have you considered purchasing new electronics for your rig? The type of mounts you choose to protect your investment should be part of the decision-making process. No matter if you prefer one, two, or three graphs up front, Beatdown Outdoors has a solution for you. Adjustable, versatile, rigid, and made in the USA. What's your ultimate electronic setup? Check out the full selection of Beatdown Outdoors products by visiting BeatdownOutdoors.com. All right, welcome back, BTL. Talking with Johnny Schultz. Man, that was... He put that in very understandable terms. That's the goal. And actually, I did want to get back to one thing on the hover trolling. We kind of ran, like brushed over that. I did want to give you one thing on that because it's, it's a pretty cool technique. And I know we mentioned Core Tackle. It's a company that Matt, Stefan, and I started together. And uh, I wanted to tell a little quick story because there's been a couple of YouTube videos that came out from uh, from... Milliken fishing, and I wanted to talk about it because he's been thrown a little bit shaded as a core tackle. And I Don't get me in another deal with Milliken, man. We're cool now. So basically, the, the timeline, he made a comment in one of his videos that basically Matt and I watched his YouTube video on the hover juggle, which is what he calls it, and then we made a jig head based on his video. Uh, well, actually, Matt made a video on hover strolling April 15th, 2022, and Milliken made his first hover juggle video September 22nd, 2022. So Matt made his video, you know, in the spring. Milliken made his in the fall. Matt's been on this hover strolling thing. There was an article he did for FLW Magazine with this, or Major League Fishing or whatever it was. There was a, 
uh, Major Fishing Magazine. There was an article with him with hover strolling. So Matt's been on this for a while, and we've been designing this hover rig basically since Matt put that video out last April. So we've been on this, and the the deal with, you know, just I wanted to set that record straight just because I don't want people to think that, you know, what we're doing is some type of like, you know, I don't know. I just want to put that out there. I'm not saying we invented hover strong or anything. This technique's been around for years and years and years also. So that's the thing. We just designed the hover rigs ahead that made it easier because mm -hmm. Matt was complaining about losing like 20 tungsten nail weights a day. And he was just getting really frustrated. And I was like, man, we should try to design something that could help you not lose so many nail weights. And that was all we did. That's what we came up with the hover rig. And I just wanted to you know, put that out there. But Enough of the drama. I'm not drama person, but I, I do like to keep the record straight. You gotta stand uh, up for yourself every now and then. What's up? So you gotta stand up for yourself every now and then. Yeah, just a little bit, you know. Uh, but anyway, so the idea with the hover strolling and the, the I really like actually Milliken's like hover juggle rig, the way mm -hmm. he sets it up, because he puts a lot of the weight into the head of the bait, which helps him fish it more like a Demiki rig where that bait will fall faster to the fish. And he mentioned that our head doesn't really do that, which it's not supposed to do that. The way I fish the hover strolling technique is I will cast my bait out and let it hit the water. And I'm going to, if you ever watch like some of the Japanese guys who also hover stroll, um, they're working their rod and they just twitch their rod, twitch, 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 twitch. And what that does, it causes that bait to rock side to side because that weight is distributed into the body of the bait. So that weight is in the body of the bait with a little bit of it in the head. And basically that bait will rock side to side instead of falling straight down. So you're not trying to get these fish to eat the bait as it falls. Everyone's like, oh, it kind of looks like a tube jig when it falls. And that mm -hmm. does work. You can throw the hover rig and fish it kind of like a tube. It will spiral and fall down to the bottom, fish it like a Ned rig or whatever. But that's not really what I'm going for with this technique. I want that bait basically to rock side to side and it rocks back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And that's what triggers the bites for me. I would say 80% of my hover rig fish that I catch, I'm throwing that hover rig out there. I'm basically letting it sink down two to five feet. And then I'm just slowly twitching my rod, rocking that bait in place, trying to keep it above the level of the fish and those fish will come up to eat it. So I'm not actually trying to let that bait get down to the level of the fish. The clearer the water, the further they'll come for it. So they'll come 30, 40 feet sometimes to meet that bait. And they'll come out of 20 foot of the water to come shark that bait. So there's a lot of ways you can fish the hover rig too. You can also just fish it with a flat bait, let it glide and fall and, and move. And that's kind of how Matt does a lot of his fishing with it too. But for me, it's literally a cast that thing out, let it hit the water. And I'm twitching my rod and rocking that bait back and forth. And that's what get those fish to trigger on it. Why do you think you cannot get a bait below the fish and get them to commit to it, even if they see it when it's above them? I've noticed it with the jerk bait, with the with any basically any bait it is really hard to get them like here's here's why it's weird to me you can get a spotted bass or a drop shot fish for a bait to go above them shoot past them and they'll freaking go straight to the bottom and eat it they'll drop they'll swim 20 feet down to the bottom to eat a bait they're five foot under the surface yep. you take a bait that is primarily meant as a suspending bait it starts above them you know that they see it but then as soon as it gets below them they're donezo I don't understand the difference why they'll follow a drop shot down or a Ned rig down and eat it off the bottom. But when you get a hover rig or a jerk bait below them, you're toast. Okay. So I have a theory on this. 
I'm not, I have a, I, I have a very strong working theory. This is not fact. So I'm not going to say this is fact, but this is what, what I've found. So I did this experiment where I was catching fish out of standing timber. Um, and I was fishing a, a Neko rig, basically nail weighted worm, uh, whatever you want to call it, nail in one end. And I pitched that bait past those fish. And for whatever reason, when I had a really light nail weight, those fish would follow that bait for a second. They'd get a really good look at it, and they wouldn't follow it all the way down to the bottom. Once I put a heavier weight in it, though, and it followed fast enough to just stay out of their zone, they'd follow that thing all the way down to the bottom. You'd see them circle it. they pick it up off the bottom, and they eat it. Now, if you do the same thing with, like, a football jig and a brush pile, you can flip a football jig and a brush pile. If that fish is sitting 10 foot up in the brush and that jig falls past its face fast, it will swim down to the bottom and eat that thing off the bottom. Now, I think what these fish are trying to do is they're trying to ambush the bait against a hard surface. So there's two really good hard surfaces, the bottom of the lake and the surface of the lake. The bait fish can't swim anymore out of the surface of the lake. That's a hard barrier for them. And the bottom is a hard barrier. So in what I'm thinking is that when those bait, when that bait's suspending and sitting there, just chilling in the middle of the water column, if that bait gets down below them, those fish don't want to have to chase that bait all the way down and around to the bottom, I, I feel like what they want to do is they want to try to pin that up against the surface of the water. And as you up jerk like a jerk bait or you work a hover rig or a Demiki rig up, I think what those fish are trying to do is they're trying to chase that shad up, pin it up against the surface of the water and ambush it. But when that bait just stays there and stays there and stays there, it's not natural. I don't it takes think a lot fish. of energy to find the dang thing and catch it. Correct. If they keep going swimming straight, yeah. if they swim straight ahead, they can just keep swimming straight ahead forever. But if it starts going up towards the surface, they're like, oh, that's my opportunity. I can now pin it up again. Okay, that makes sense as far as why you get a lot of crankbait bites when you're changing direction with your crankbait. Either you're cranking it down to where it's going fast or how many times when you get that crankbait and you're bringing it back, are you like crank, crank, crank? Oh, there's one. It's because that fish thinks he's chasing it up to pin it up against the surface. Or you're making a long cast with it so you can keep it on the bottom where it's on a hard bottom as long as it possibly can be. And those fish know that they can pin it down on the bottom. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm going to go with yes, that that is a correct analysis, Johnny. Okay. Well, then that my, my, my thinking always is I want to find the figure out where the fish are in relation. And if they're closer to the bottom, I'm going to try mm -hmm. to get them to feed on the bottom. If they're closer to the surface, I'm going to try to get them to feed on the surface. And that works in the wintertime too. I mean, even when our temperatures are 42, 43 degrees, you can up twitch a jerk bait and those fish will come out of 10, 15 feet up to a foot of water and come eat that thing basically off the surface. Uh, and I see that all the time. And I just don't think people think about that ambush element of fishing. Yeah, that's... Not saying I'm right. I'm just saying that. No, I, it, it makes, it, I'm, I'm, you know, the more I think about it, the more I think you're right. You have too hard. They want to pin it. That's why, I mean, like I like to fish against where vertical and horizontal structure meet, which is often a man-made, which is a dock, which is concrete, which is something around a dam, something like that, because it A, provides ambush and B, gives them something to pin it up against when you're throwing an eco rig and you're doing it. I mean, how many times do you see them come out and then go back in and nail it as it goes past where the vertical and horizontal structure meet I mean, or on bridges where you bank. have stuff. Yeah. Where you're paralleling the bank, you're doing all sorts of stuff. And, yeah. and a lot of times those fish are, that's why a lot of times on your top water too, it's the first couple cranks. Cause those fish are waiting because you have, you have a backboard and a surface and a bottom. So you basically have an open box for yep. those fish to nail. And there's only yep. one way that that bait has to come and it's towards them. 
Correct. Yep. Oh, let me uh, throw one more thing at you, Matt, just to, just because, I mean, why not? Yeah. Uh, before you, so think about shadows. This is something I've been noticing with my brush palette, especially live scope. I didn't know I was going to talk about this, but I'm going to make a video on this soon. I've been noticing that, especially later in the day, if you can cast your bait into the shadow of a brush pile, not in the brush pile itself, but think about where the sun angle is mm -hmm. and then think about where the shadow is going to get cast from that brush pile. You can see it on throw, side imaging. Yeah. If you throw the bait in the shadow of that brush pile, wherever the sun angle is, and then think about like a dock where the shadow would be on a dock, but think about it on a brush pile. That's who you're going to get like 75% of your bites most days when you have that angle. So that's early in the morning, later in the day, midday when it's overhead, it doesn't really have that much of a shadow. It's kind of like right in the brush, but a lot of those fish will set up on the outside edges. And a lot of my better quality fish I've been catching later in the afternoons recently has been mm -hmm. 20, 30 feet away from the brush pile, but it's because the sun angles low and it, those fish are setting up in the shadow of that brush. And we didn't realize that we were 20 or 30 feet from that brush pile for all those years that we were criking yep. it. We just assumed that we were right on the edge of it. And it's the it's clean too, so you can get them in. Yep. I've noticed, I've noticed the best areas are if you have your big pile and then there's like a little stop just off to the side. <laughs> That's the freaking nuts. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. Uh. All right, we always have you on. We talk about the deep dive app. Uh, okay, you have some more stuff that isn't out yet. This is the first look that we've gotten at it. Correct. So this is brand new, hot off the press. Um, this test build, we're still working through the kinks on some of it. Yeah, I'm going to uh, pull it up right now and see. Let's see if I can pull it up. So let's up. just play it twice. We'll play it and I'll commentate. And then maybe just pull it full screen with you and me. There you go. Okay, let's play that. I'll commentate and we'll probably have to watch, watch it twice. So basically, this is a give you context this is a map of grand lake and we create a tool where basically you can put a pointer on the lake and it's going to analyze the characteristics of a specific spot and the area <laughs> around it and give you all of the areas that have the similar characteristics to that spot so you're looking at the angles the surrounding areas the drop-offs the depth changes around that area um section of the lake it's in a lot of other factors I'm not going to get into because it's proprietary. But anyways, you can get these areas highlighted in the map. So like these are some offshore areas. So if you catch a fish on the spot, you can highlight it and say, show me other areas that are like this. Find similar areas. Let's say, for example, you're going to go fish a 45 degree chunk rock bank on Grand. Pretty good looking spot in the spring. So you click in here and you see that those 45 degree banks are highlighted. Well, you go around this upper part and there's no... 45 degree banks really in that area. You go further down. This is where Jeremy Lawyer did really well in one of FLW tour event. Um, and basically you look through here, you can see there's only a little bit of 45 degree bank in both of these, not all over. And then the next pocket down looks like it should be steep and have 45 degree banks, but it doesn't. And you're wondering why would one of these creeks be better than the other? Well, it has that 45 degree angle. There's other factors too we take into account. It's not just the angle of the bank, but that's just for simple terms. And basically what you can do is you can say, I caught a fish on this bank here. Show me similar areas that match it characteristically. And then you can now go run a pattern around the lake and just focus on those areas that have that the same characteristics, basically. Okay, so first thing that comes to my mind was the first time I saw this was... Uh... We'll go back to this in a second. The first time I saw something that looked similar to this would have been uh, Hummingbirds Lake Master, where you're fishing and you catch a fish in 16 foot. 
then you catch another fish in 14 foot and you're like, well, I think they're all in 14 to 16. So you go in and you do your shading where you do blue all around and you do 14 to 16, but it shows you absolutely everything in the lake in red that is between 14 and 16 foot. This is different than that. It is. So basically instead of just saying 14 to 16 feet, it says, okay, this is a 14 to 16 foot area. This okay. is the slope of that area. So if you kind of look at just our, we give some basic stats. If you go back a little bit, when you highlight that area, it'll say like, okay, this is a nine degree slope on that exact spot. The distance to shore is 200 to 300 feet. It's in the mid lake, first half of the Creek. And so then, everything else is eight to nine. Everything else that's orange on here is yep. in roughly eight foot depth with a nine degree slope two to 300 yards from shore in the mid lake area in the first half of creeks. Correct. And there's some other stuff, no on the background, but that's how we analyze it. So it's cutting all of it down. So if you oh scroll around, the gosh. Thing, this, you're is not like, gonna... <laughs> this is, I didn't realize this when we did the little, we actually did kind of a pre-show meeting. I didn't realize this scope of this. So it's not, it's not showing you all the stuff in the lower end. It's only showing it to you in the yeah, mid lake. Because and, it, it doesn't matter if it's eight foot, if it's on a freaking flat, that's in the back of a freaking cove. Correct. And also like we can do things and we have, we're still in prototyping of this, but like we have water clarity maps for um, all these lakes. So like, for example, we could add water clarity to say, show me all these places that are in stained water or dirty water or clear water. So you can cut it by that. And there's all these other things we can cut it by. And we're still working through all these things. And the reason we wanted to show it on this guys is because we want to get feedback from all the viewers, all the listeners on the podcast, all the people watching on YouTube and Matt, I think you're gonna be putting a link down in the show notes. Yes, There'll be the a link in the YouTube description of this show. And also in the iTunes description of this show. Correct. So we want to put that survey out to you guys. If you can fill it out, I really appreciate it. And what it will do is help us determine one, do you guys want this? Do you think it would actually be helpful? Two, which lake should we be putting it on? And three, you know, the economics of it, how much you're willing to pay for it and things like that. Because obviously the more people are willing to pay for it, the fewer lakes we need to actually put in there to make mm -hmm. it viable. And it's one of those things right now, if you guys understand a business, like this is expensive to do and things like that. And so we want to create this cool technology, but without enough demand or the right price or whatever it is, we literally can't bring this out yeah. to market. Uh, so it's more of we need your support to bring this to market. Will you be able to tell like who filled it out or is it just. So we, we have a place you can put your email in if you want, but you okay, put your email in if you want to put your email in. And if you fill this out uh, by the end of September, how does that sound? Sure. That's great. Uh, the 1st of October, I'll get with Johnny. And if you put your email in for anybody who's filled that out, I'll give away a Denali Novus reel. How's that sound? That sounds great. Denali Novus Reel, right here. Damn, thank you. I'll Matt. give that away for the first of, first of October. So you have between uh, when is this going to air? September twelfth and September thirtieth to fill the. It's like six questions, super basic to help Johnny with the fish uh, with the deep dive app. Uh, link in the YouTube description and on the iTunes description. Fill it out, put your email in, and then we'll we'll uh, we'll send you a uh, we'll send you a notification if we pick the email. But you have to fill it out and put your email in for the deep dive app to help to help this technology out. I mean, honestly, like the 
the cool part about the technology is that this is, again, we're just getting started with this. There's so much more we can even do with this. This is just kind of like our version one of it. Yeah, but I would never fish that if I had caught something else over there. Now it's worth going over there because it has all the characteristics and all you need is one of the little uh, of the elements, the, the cover, the bait fish and the fish in that section there. And now you basically have nondescript looking areas like that you would typically be going down the bank before going, I wonder why the hell that fish was there that now you can be like, Oh, that's why it was there. This is the bank that matches. Even though I just fished a mile and a half a bank that looked the same, that didn't match. Or that's why I caught it off at this point and not off of these other three points. Exactly. Like if you look around, I mean, when you go through that, like just example, I know this is just an example, but like there's a lot of points that aren't getting highlighted here. So it's like, mm -hmm. it's like every point on the lake, we didn't want it to get to a point where it's like every single point is getting highlighted. That's not helpful to anybody. We want to highlight just a few key areas because you don't want to get to a point where there's like only like two areas showing up, obviously. Right. That doesn't help anyone either. So it's a fine balance. And we're, I think we've struck it pretty well overall. Um, and the idea with all of this is again, to give you the ability to say, I caught a fish here. Cause one thing like we, in the deep dive app, we get a lot, a lot of suggestions on like past tournament results and tournament strategies and baits and areas and all kinds of stuff. But the easiest way to figure out how to catch more fish is to catch a fish and then just highlight the similar areas and then go fish those similar areas. If you can do that, it's a lot easier to go catch fish. Um, and like, even I was looking at this, Matt, see this 45 degree bank here. Yeah. One thing interesting to me, would you ever think to throw a bait down the center of that cut there? It's highlighting both the banks, but then there's that little cut area in the right. Keep going down and it's highlighted in yellow or orange. Keep going down, down, uh, other way. Keep, oh, you see, you're not, you can't even find it. Go to the left and then go down, 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 down oh, there. Right in the back of this thing. That's the same slope as the 45 degree bank. You don't think the fish might be setting up right there and throw. Oh, a wiggle no, a I'm going to go down here and then I'm going to cut across to go down around this point. But have you, I, I'm going to leave that. So many things where I'm like, that could be the juice that I've never been fishing. And I'm like, like looking at this tool, it blows my mind all the time. Cause I'm like, these similar areas are things where I'm like, Oh, that's similar. It doesn't, we don't think it is because our brain doesn't process it that way. But if you take out your brain's processing, you just think about it. That's the area that could be like the juice, the yeah, thing that well, no one I'm else also thinking of like this little section, like right down in there. Yeah. It's tiny little deal, but that might be a one or two cast deal where you catch a five pounder and then you move on. Yep. This is, if people want to be pissed about something, it's this not live scope. I mean, so I want this to get banned before live scope gets banned. Cause then that means we have something that's really good. If this, gets yeah, banned, I say that in a positive is a yeah. compliment, Johnny. No, I know. Yeah. Not as well, a negative at all. That's the thing about this, like this tool, Matt, think about this. If we had it for like grass flats out on the Tennessee river or something, or like the great lakes, we have like the great lakes. We could do the great lakes. If people wanted that, we could do the great lakes. We haven't done it yet, but like, what if we went to Lake Ontario or St. Clair or whatever, and you could go and you click a spot and you say, find all the areas that are just like this. And you get those key little zones out there mm -hmm. and it takes the massive flat. That's nothing. And just whoop, shows you. Yeah. I will say there's there. some that's like so featureless and stuff that this is going to be this. This is perfect in my opinion for Carolinas 
for Ozarks, for lakes like that, for for TVA. Oh, it's it's perfect pretty much everywhere. It works. Like Dude, TVA's, you- Carolinas, and Ozarks are the three spots that come to my mind where Texas, you have a lot of you have a lot of very similar looking cover and bank. Like you can't just look at it and say that's different. Yep. And why are those fish in that area or this area? And it allows you to have yep. that ability to flexibility to say, I only want to be looking in the back half of the creeks, mid lake, this water clarity with this, you know, this deal. And like, we're, we're going to, we're trying to figure out the whole, we're going to come up with like a user test group and stuff like that. If people actually respond to the survey positively and we get some good feedback on this, because the idea would be to get people testing this on a variety of lakes yeah. and then figuring out like, what, how do you customize this? Maybe it's like, okay, I don't really care if you show me first half creek, back half a creek, whatever, take that out Just show me these types of areas everywhere. Or, you know, maybe it's one of those things where it's like, show it to me across the entire lake, not just the lower end, mid, like upper end. And we can kind of, you know, do things like that. There's so many ways we can adjust this. It's just right now it's, we're doing the best we can off of kind of our initial guess is what I'm saying. But it's pretty, pretty incredible. Just like taking out in the lake. It feels like I'm cheating to be honest, Matt. Like when I go out there, cause it's like, the fish, I catch a fish here. I pull up the app. I find some area. I go over there. There's fish on that spot. There's fish on this spot. Like, honestly, right here, Matt, this cove you're in, Yep. I caught, there's, I'm giving up a spot on grand for people. Right where that little highlight area is, I didn't do this just randomly. There are shell like it's there. around um, horse. All, all five of, or there's five areas there. Every single one of those has a shell bed on it right now that have fish on it. On grand. That you highlighted right there? That's a spot I caught them on last thursday those all have sh- those are shallow shell beds that's in horse isn't it yeah and horse yeah that's bad it, that i know that yeah i know but dude it's fine it's it, you know you know what's up so but those there are, <laughs> those are a crankbait on there all of those spots have shell on them right now and it's crazy because you highlight it up and it's like how and even those other like all the stuff that's highlighted here basically has like like shallow shell beds on it right now yeah. on, in horse Wow. Uh, we need to take another break so I can figure out, <laughs> figure out what the heck we're going to talk about in the final segment. Uh, BTL with Johnny Schultz telling you exactly wh- where to cast and why they're there. It's uh, BTL. We'll be back right after this. The great thing about the new Sensation Soft Plastics from Big Bite Baits, heavily scented, super soft, buoyant, comes in seven great new shapes. I've got a couple of them of my signature series, the Cliffhanger Worm, and the Ramtail Craw, great for a flipping jig, football jig, swim jig, all that. Several other great shapes. Really excited about it. We've worked over the last year. Catches fish all over the country, and I think it's gonna catch fish for people everywhere you try it. The Spro Little John crankbait has been around for almost 15 years, and it is one of my go-to crankbaits whenever I need a fish in the boat, so you can never have enough new colors. That's why Spro's coming out with a handful of new colors, including Pearl Shad, which has this bleached out white look, but it's got this pearlescent, really, really pretty. We've got Copper Shad, which looks amazing in the water. It's got that purple flake on the back, really, really pops in the water. And then if you want some real pop, we've got Sparkle Shad, nothing but sparkles all over this thing. And then last but not least, we've got the matte sexy shad just a really different looking color for a crankbait so you want to give them a little different look 
that matte sexy shad is definitely the one to go with. All these colors are available in the original Little John and the MD. I'm the kind of guy that never leaves a house without a pocket knife, and Gamagatsu's come out with the EDC series of knives. EDC stands for everyday carry, so whether you're on the water or off, you can always have it with you. The best thing about it to me is that assisted open feature. With this D2 blade, you've got it right here at your fingertips, so if you can't find your scissors, you need to cut a knot, you need to cut your braid, you've always got it. Make sure you check it out. Never leave home without your Gamagatsu EDC knife. Born in Japan, using technology, innovation, and precision, Sunline produces the widest selection of fishing lines at the most technologically advanced line factory in the world. Manufactured at the strictest tolerances to produce victories at the highest levels of tournament bass fishing. From household names like Christie, Swindle, and Cruz, to young guns like Cook, Logan, New, and Welcher, they all trust Sunline to take them to the top of the leaderboard. Choose the line that will give you the strength to guarantee your confidence. Sunline. Are you looking to install your own fishing electronics? The solution is the Bass Tank Power Harness. It takes the guesswork out of installation. No more voltage issues or interference. Designed by an engineer so that you can get professional results right there in your own garage. Installation done right with the help of the Bass Tank Power Harness. You can feel confident knowing that your installation was done right. The Bass Tank Power Harness. Give us a call or order yours today at thebasstank.com. All right, welcome back. Wrapping things up here on BTL. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I say this every single time you're on. I've always been hesitant to bring apps into the uh, BTL. I'm fairly protective. Uh, and Mark was. It goes back to Mark Jeffries for 19 years as far as sponsorships because we work with a lot of the sponsors have them on the show like we did here too so instead of just a money grab you could have it so when you gave me the code for the deep dive app i just went in and bought it was like 80 bucks paid with my credit card the whole nine yards paid full price for it and i use the thing a lot it's on my phone i've got all of it it's updated uh i've had a couple buddies that were like well you freaking got me i want to see what it was all about they use it they're like dude it saved me 30 miles of running today because i was able to check you know what was going on in a different part of the lake uh and there's all sorts of every time i log on there's all sorts of new updates and changes and additions to it so uh basically if you're still if you want to know kind of the inside the mind of johnny not only the fish the moment uh youtube stuff and the bass fishing declassified which you do with other btl regular matt stefan and uh who else the other uh, you've uh, mentioned him Lang, and then we yeah. got uh Cal Cordiana on there Miles yep. Berghoff he's an Oklahoma guy Kyle Cordiana you're Matt's uh uh supposed cult leader Randy uh <laughs> <laughs> Randy's on there all sorts of stuff I heard, but I heard this, that too <laughs> like a lot of the a lot of the stuff you're hearing on today like this stuff is implemented in this freaking app and it's uh it's really cool because you can see it the progress of it so yeah, we're, I don't know. Did I, do, did I do that justice? Yeah, I appreciate it. I mean, we got really cool stuff in there. We, you know, collect, we have professional anglers collecting tournament data to actually back all the recommendations in the app. We watch live streams from professional level tournaments to give suggestions and where to fish and stuff like that. We have updated water clarity maps in there where you can see the most up to date information about what the water clarity is doing on your lake, all kinds of cool stuff. And then we have this area analyzer that we're hoping to roll out as well that we think it'd be pretty cool. So 
Uh, yeah, just trying to continue to do that. I mean, Matt, between deep dive and then all the fish the moment videos and then trying to make these playbooks and all this stuff, it's I, I keep myself pretty busy, but I'm always trying to uh, innovate. Got core tackle going on, trying to innovate as much as we can because I feel like a lot of times in the fishing industry, it's just it's kind of like a copycat industry in, in a yeah. lot of senses, and I I really like bringing in those fresh ideas and not everything that I do is works. Not everything that I do is maybe the the most groundbreaking or whatever, but I'm at least trying to innovate the best I can. Yeah. And same thing with like guys like Matt Stefan, who works with me, does great stuff. Like we're trying to bring a little bit of fresh energy into the, the industry. And there's a lot of right now, a lot of negativity going on in the industry. And I always try to focus on the positive side. Yeah. We love the fish. We want to get out there. We want to enjoy fishing and people love fishing, even though fishing is one of the most frustrating pastimes you could ever get into because you might go at eight hours in the hot heat and not catch a single fish we still go and do it because we love it we love the challenge we love figuring it all out so i think focusing on what we have in common and our love for fishing is usually in my case the better approach to take um there are times when you know other people have different opinions and i mean I, I think it takes all kinds. You guys know I work with multiple different people. Not everyone, I don't share the opinions of everybody, but I try to get along with everyone. And that's really my my goal. So, I mean, not really much to say there. But. My only beef with Matt Steffen is he is anti-Buckies. And he is a quick trip with a K uh, as far as the gas station. So, like I said. I have talked to him about that. Yes, he is. He's uh, irrationally negative towards Bucky's, the convenience store, the greatest convenience store ever. Yeah, I, I agree with you on the Bucky's thing. I always, you know, we, we plot out our trips to go to Bucky's whenever we have a chance. I have another bone to pick with Matt, actually. I'm going to do it live here on BTL. Uh, so I, I don't blame him too much, but the last day of that uh, Mississippi River event. Oh, is this Matt about a camera the, in the, the boat. butt he, tag? He, yeah, he won the tournament, but yeah. he was supposed to put Tush, that's our the ultimate swim bait hook. Tush, mm -hmm. we we got him sublimate. We got him like stickers. Okay, Matt's pulling this up. We got patches that literally are like a, a iron on patch. His wife iron ironed on these tush patches onto his his butt, and yeah. he was supposed to wear that on camera. It was a great publicity move, and he just he didn't pull through. So I'm yeah, that was pretty disappointing to be honest. All right, so I had to wait for a recorded show to do this because this is going in the mail today, but it, it irks me that he's all about quick trip where you can buy a ribeye next to a Snickers while you check out. It just doesn't sit well with me. Uh, it's a great, great gas station. I got nothing against it, but he has taken a stance against Bucky's, which is B U C dash E E apostrophe. Yes. So I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to run this through with you. So I am going to change Matt's mind. So over the past time I went oh. to Bucky's, I got a bag format with the Buckies here. We gotta we gotta wow. go different on this. Let's go through some of this stuff. So he's got a five year old and a seven year old. So of course we got the Buckies coloring book. You gotta have the uh, the Buckies barbecue sauce. We got the Buckies barbecue sauce. What's a trip to Bucky's without some beaver nuggets? So we've got some beaver nuggets. And once you have beaver nuggets, you realize how good they smell. So we have the beaver nugget scented candle. Oh, that is just the car the rich notes of caramel in there is phenomenal. Uh we're just getting started. I hope you not you don't have to get out of here on time. We got the uh we've got the Bucky's keychain right there. I always remind them to have a great day. 
Does it float? You could use that for the boat keys. Oh, he no, it's just a little plush. Ah, it's just know. a little Bucky's plush. So uh, we've got some Bucky's Beaver Buddies uh, animal crackers in the shape of Bucky the Beaver. We've got a, a Bucky shot glass with the Bucky on one side. It says says it's beaver time on the other side. <laughs> Matt, did you use all of your, your uh, earnings from the Opens this year to buy all of this Bucky stuff? No, because that would require me having earnings in the Opens, Johnny. <laughs> uh, we have a Bucky's koozie and camo. Then obviously a Bucky sticker. Two Bucky stickers, one for each side of the uh, BPT rig next year. What's a trip to Bucky's without a pecan log? There's the Bucky's oh, pecan man. log, uh, crayons for the coloring book, obviously for his youngsters. Now these are the most underrated item in Bucky's. These are cotton candy mints. Bucky's cotton candy mints, phenomenal. <laughs> Bucky's cotton candy mints. I'm gonna save the best for last year. Oh, here's a uh, here's a Bucky's Yukon Outfitters. This was the this was the big big money item here that I okay. spent. But then we have some uh, Bucky's Cosmic Pop, Pop Rocks a uh bucky's refrigerator magnet with tie-dye i thought that i mean how do you miss that a little bit of uh bucky's lip gloss couple uh couple of caramel couple caramel candies yeah i had it all packed in the cup so he didn't and then and then just to really drive the point home because i know matt is uh matt's a bridgeford guy and listen I'm an equal opportunity beef jerky connoisseur, right? Like I'll eat them all, including Bridgeford. Big fan of Bridgeford. Bridgeford has some of the best beef jerky out there. But Bucky's isn't bad either. So I'm throwing in some ghost pepper beef jerky, which I know will not be opened out of principle in the Stefan household. Maybe they can like donate that to like the needy. Although I'm not sure giving ghost pepper to a homeless person would be the smartest idea. I think you'd have to throw a beverage in with that instead of So what what's what's the end game with this Matt? What do you expect his reaction to be? I just want him to I just want him to acknowledge that Bucky's is a premier level gas station that deserves to be stopped. Listen, I've got I've got a shrimp wrapped jalapeno poppers and uh tender like all sorts of bucky's frozen stuff out there too like i'm a bucky's fan i took a little bit of an exception to his uh how strongly and he never even been to a damn bucky's see what we need to do matt is we need to get i need to do it for matt is get a core tackle trip down to like lake fork or something yeah swing through bucky's on the way he would probably sit in the car no, he would love it because I'd be like, Matt, I'll wait to make sure he, I'll, I'll get a bunch of like Diet Coke in him or something. You'll have to go to the bathroom. You'll go into the bathroom at Bucky's and you'll be like, oh, this is the nicest bathroom over. I've ever been to in my life. It's, and it's be like a small over. fort. Each can is like a small fort. I, F-O-R-T. I, I, Completely so, walled so, in. Like, I mean, everything. It's 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 immaculate. I feel like I'm seeing a comparison between another colleague of mine. So Matt's never been to a Bucky's, but he hates it. Randy's never used live scope, but he hates it. So <laughs> there, we need to. <laughs> hey, uh, Miles, Miles Berghoff and I are on the same page on this. I do need to give a shout out to Miles. I don't know if he's okay. back from uh, if he's back from Alaska yet, but uh, he's still there. I'm, uh, he is. I'm not... I wish you guys could smell the uh, the, the the beaver candle? nugget, the beaver nugget gourmet can. I mean, so good. 
I'm sure his wife's. But yeah, Miles is a, a Bucky's connoisseur as well. No, I'm not sponsored by Bucky's. Yes, I am open to sponsorship for Bucky's. I I'm sure that at least 20 guys have tried. There's no way that fewer than 20 guys have tried to court Bucky's for a corporate sponsorship. I mean, I think like that's like a Lee Livesey. I feel like he'd be a really good uh, Bucky or or BTL. I mean, I travel. Well, yeah, that's true. BTL. I have a podcast. Fish the Opens. I travel a ton. I mean, look, I just spent hundred and fifty dollars just to prove to one of my buddies that Bucky's is the best of the business. You need to cut. We need to share this clip with the uh, PR department over at Bucky's right now. We do. That would require me having someone who cuts clips out of the show and post them on social media, which I, which I currently okay. do not. So, Matt, I got one more question for you. Do you have time? Because I, I have a question. Yeah, yeah, for yeah, you. yeah. No, we're all good. Because okay. I've been doing a lot of talking, and I, I want to get your opinion on something. So, oh God. This is my dilemma right now. I, I try to, I think of myself as a fishing instructor on YouTube. That's what I do is I teach people to, to fish and hopefully catch more fish. I don't okay. fish tournaments or anything like that. So I want to get your perspective as a tournament angler because I don't, I've just been out of the game for so long. I can't, you know, I don't think I can give a really good opinion on it. But okay. Starting out now, let's say it's, a high school kid or someone who's trying to make the elite series or something right now, let's say they're 12 years old okay, and they have from their tw- time, they're 12, let's say they're 18. And for whatever reason, they're in a financial position or whatever, they were able to go fish the opens at 18 and they have six years to learn how to fish. Do you think that it is a more effective approach for the younger generation now to just focus on using live scope a hundred percent. I'm thinking guys like a, like a Drew Gill is a great example. He's on Lake Eufaula in Oklahoma and he's catching them in six inches of water visibility, live scoping them and pitching at individual fish in like four foot of water, watching them swim on live scope and pitching his bait over to them. So he's in shallow water, muddy situations. He's mastering the live scope. There's live scope deep and shallow. Do you think that it would be more beneficial at this point in fishing to forego learning how to flip skip docks throw a crankbait down the bank throw a spinner bait throw a swim jig don't do any of that give them a spinning rod give them a couple baits to go fish on live scope and spend six years just live scoping do you think they would have a better shot of making the elite series doing that versus trying to take the well-rounded approach of learning how to do everything no i i think you have to Okay, uh, so like in hockey, there's a lot of guys who are in the NHL who start their kids out with a straight straight stick. They don't have a curve in the stick. A stick makes it easier to lift it, to control the puck, to carry the puck. They want their their kids to be to determine whether they're left or right-handed, to develop their backhand as well as their forehand, not to rely on the technology of the stick. I think what you just proved with the app that just blew my mind is that you have to have an, an understanding regardless of what the technology is. And in order to have an understanding, you have to have time on the water. And I think in order to have time on the water and what time on the water does is it allows you to have an, an, an instinctual and natural feel for what is happening on the water. This is all, hippie BS, but it's true. It really is. And I think that's hard to develop when you're relying on one piece. I think we're, we're thinking 
here's the assumption. This is this is what's happening now. We're saying these guys are catching them because of live scope. We're forgetting that 90% of these guys got to the Elite Series, got to the BPT without live scope. They won tournaments without live scope. They pattern fish. They found fish without live scope. This is the easy one out for the guys who aren't there, who think they should be there, to the guys who will never get there, who are complaining about going there. This is the, instead of saying, well, if I had the money, I'd be able to do the time, or if I didn't do this, now they're able to point to a piece of technology and say, this is why I'm getting beat. No, you're getting beat because there's someone who's spending more time on the water that has a better understanding that is able to get around the fish more that has dedicated their lives to this. And this is a tool that they're using to maximize their fish catching potential. This has nothing to do with them sucking and then waking up one day and saying, I'm going to spend $30,000 on five live scopes and be good at it. That is an excuse that you're using. So that is a long circuitous way around saying, do you ignore it? No but you have to instill the fundamentals and treat fishing like every other sport and not just a one dimensional game. So let me play devil's advocate on that just real quick. So when you're using live scope, you still have to find fish. You still have to pattern fish, regardless of whether you are using live scope or not. You're only going to catch fish on live scope. If you find a way to figure out where the fish are, you can't catch what's not there. Correct. So, even if you're using live scope, you have to find the three to four to five pound bass regardless. Live scope, though, gives you the ability to add a new dimension to your fishing. So in my mind, it's like saying, hey, if you're going to go fish off, let's say old school, new school. If you're thinking old school, it's like, hey, I'm just going to only flip and I'm only ever going to flip and I'm going to learn how to read water for flipping. And that's my one technique. Or I'm only going to learn the water for offshore cranking, David Fritz. I'm just going to go offshore crank. That's what I put 90% of my time on. And I'm going to dominate the offshore cranking events. With LiveScope now, though, LiveScope works all the time, everywhere, in all situations. We've seen it in Florida. We've seen it whatever. So if people can learn how to find and pattern fish with LiveScope, it's not like a flipping deal where when the flipping bite is non, it's not on. The live scope bite is on. I heard you say this on your on one of your podcasts recently. When the live scope bite, it's on all the time. There's no off season anymore mm-hmm. with the live scope. Even guys are catching them off cypress trees with the perspective mode, flipping for sight fishing fish with the perspective right. live scope. So I guess my devil's advocate to this is, is live scope now such an integral tool where it's like, if it continues to be allowed, which I don't know what the case is there, I'm not going to give an opinion on that. I feel like you should learn how to find fish while using live scope and focus 100% on that potentially. I'm not saying this is what you should do, but I'm thinking that there is a, a case to be made that you actually have a better chance of succeeding because now, guys, too, we just have LiveScope now for the last five years. There's probably still more stuff to be untapped. There's a new LiveScope transducer, the saltwater transducer, that lets you see 400, 500 feet in front of the boat. You're right. You're a hundred. You're not even playing devil's advocate. You're 100% right. Like, it, And here's why you're right. Because part of the reason why a lot of guys aren't catching them is because their old school mentality is still playing into it and it's taking away from 100% of scoping. Yep. And the guys who are 100% committed to scoping are able to compartmentalize or say this is a scope event. Like right now you've got 50-50. So if it takes 100% or 90% to win an event, you got a lot of guys who are well-rounded 
who are only willing to put 50% into it because they're not going to throw away the last two decades of their time on the water. So you make a very valid point. But I still think you have to have an understanding. I still think you have to have an understanding and be well-rounded for it to work. Listen, we haven't, you're still seeing the guys who won before the Alabama rig came out. There was a period where a bunch of schmucks won with the Alabama rig. And then all of a sudden it went right back to the guys who won before the Alabama rig that won. You saw, you've noticed that, haven't you? Yep. I think what you're seeing and I'm uh, schmucks was probably a horrible term to use there. Guys who you typically don't have success, but you're seeing that with, I think you're going to see that with the live scope too, where you have the early adopters who go all in, but listen, Kyle Welcher was pretty damn good before live scope was around and he won with it. Matt Stefan finished 30, caught three fish on live scope or forward facing sonar this past year, three, three of his fish. He finished third in it. So I think you're obviously going to see a disproportionate amount of early adopters, but then you're still going to see your guys who catch up, just like the guys who caught them, your local sticks, who caught them before the Alabama rig learned how to identify and they're going to be able to, that's because they have the natural instinct built in and they have the time on the water and they know how to make micro adjustments and adapt and not just stare at a screen. So the guys who don't have an understanding might have a short-term advantage in it. They might win a lot of tournaments now, but that that's going to cycle back. That's going to, like you said, we're already seeing these fish adjust to the beam. You're talking about rocks, fish on rocks, fish on piles, how close you can get, how close you can't get. That still takes skill when those fish adjust to, for you to make the adjustment. And the more understanding you have of the fishery, fish behavior, how it works, techniques, where to go, why to do it, what to do it, the more you're going to succeed. So that's why I think you still have to be well-rounded. You can't just exclusively rely on the technology because then you don't have an understanding of how to make those adjustments. To be fair, I 100% am aligned with your your thoughts. Like That's how I feel personally, too. I just feel like... Um maybe we're both biased because we grew up learning. I know that's you know, in the back so, of my head too, Johnny. Like that, maybe it's a new world and all you do have to have is this freaking box. That's why I feel like, that's why I wanted to play devil's advocate argument. Cause it's like, do I agree with what you're saying? A hundred percent. But that's just because that's how I had to learn how to do it. And it almost feels like they should have to go through what I went. To I mean, what are the there. odds that Randy is that guy who's on the freaking late night radio going, the aliens are coming. The end of the world is here. I'm preaching it. I'm telling you guys, it's the beginning of the end. Everybody get on board with me. We have to save it. And then down the road, we're like, son of a gun. He was right. It's right too late to freaking save it. The guy who looked like the crazy get off my lot old guy was the guy who had it right all the way along. Well, like, so fisheries are decimated. Oh, it could be entire dude. lure categories know. are no longer relevant. Like there's been like six spinnerbaits sold in the past decade. It's like 2034. We're fishing with freaking goggles on. I mean, just so have like, a lot. I mean, Matt, like for me, if you ask me, cause this is, there's a whole argument, like the enjoyment side of it and all that stuff. Yeah. If you ask me from then, I went through my whole thing at the beginning of this, where I went through like my framework using live school stuff. I feel like it's my obligation to do so as a content creator. So I have made myself go do that. My top five favorite fishing days this year, the most fun I've had, the days I look back on, man, I wish I could do that again. None of them involved live scope. One of them was on Grand Lake 
where oh, oh that's randy you're one of them was on grand lake where i had a mega bag of fish that i caught by graphing the fish marking them with a waypoint i stayed 120 feet away from them and was throwing a bait on them and yeah. i never saw a single fish on live scope i had the spot lock and the wind was blowing so my boat was pointed the other way and i called him without the live scope and then the other days were like shallow water frog fishing whatever because that's how i grew mm -hmm. up doing so for me that's what I enjoy. But I think for a lot of these younger kids, and I say kids, I'm not even that old, but like, I feel like they're, they find the enjoyment in the live scope. And they're like, why would you want to go out there and not know what you're casting at and not know where the fish are and spend hours like guessing when you could just know. And I think that's the difference is like, we found, we fell in love with fishing because during that thing where basically we had to go through that we had to do the unknown and that's why we fall in love with it where these kids now they have the option to not have to go through that they can just know and it's like to them it's like why wouldn't you just use it yeah like, but you went through the option where you could idle across a point and know if there's a brush pile on it the generation yeah. before you didn't even do that they're Correct. like oh oh of course johnny's into it and of course he's gonna do all this stuff because he has to idle across the point twice and he knows if there's a brush pile on the whole point now you know i had to grid the dang thing out and then the generation before that was saying oh yeah well i had to figure out if it was bottom harder if there's a brush pile because i had to keep my eyes glued to a freaking flasher yep to Did see if it jumped up the, the outlaw side imaging no but I, no I, there had to those discussions did exist exactly just at the time there. yeah and like literally, I remember interviewing a dude named Rooster when I did my late Gunnersville documentary. And I've said this before, he tie a window weight, which is the weight that you do that closes and opens the window to a rope, drag it behind the boat. And when the window weight was going, brrr, he's on a shell bed. And when the window weight went slack, it was a drop off. And when the window weight got hung, it was a brush pile. I mean, so like it's, it, I think it's just that, that difference, but I guess what I try to think about from my perspective is I don't want to get caught up on my emotions. Again, I'm facts over feelings guy. That's always been my, my thing. So it's like from a teaching yeah. perspective, is it actually a better teaching methodology to just teach, use the live school? The live going to be sticking around. Everyone has, I know not everyone has access to it right now. And that's another challenge because it's more of the, that's a whole other discussion. But if you're trying to teach people how to be the most effective in a competition or a, mm -hmm. a tournament situation or whatever, maybe there's an argument to say, just start with live scope, learn live scope, use live. Scope. I mean, listen, you're also teaching something that's going to be obsolete in a year or two because yeah. there's going to be no beaming. There's going to be no, which way is your transducer facing? You're going to have 360 live. That is the next frontier that is coming. It's going to be 360 degrees around your boat. You're going to be able to cast in any direction and see your bait drop this whole, Oh, you're hitting them with the beam and how are you scoping and how far out are you? All that is going to be obsolete in a couple years. We're going to be sitting here going, remember when we had a four degree beam that we had to put it exactly on and we were like, ooh, we got our bait and the fish in the same beam. Like that, and, and I don't know this, I don't have any inside track on this, but it's pretty obvious that that is the next natural progression in this. Would you agree with that? I mean, you make the joke on the glasses. I 100% see in the future technology coming out within the next 10 years we've talked about some of this at deep dive. So like, this is something that I know is, is possible where you could put on glasses or you could hold up your phone or whatever you want to use for it. And 
you can just say, okay, there are the fish, there are the fish, and you look into the water. It's almost like you have x-ray vision to the fish, and that technology is possible. And is that really where I want fishing to go personally? No. But like, if that technology exists, you would be silly as a competitor to not use that technology if it was legal, because now it's like, you don't have to scope around. It's like, you don't use a trolling where you spot lock and you look at with your yeah. head and you just cast. Now that's actually like kind of fish in the barrel stuff, but like <laughs> it could get there. It's going to get real sticky if they start doing this stuff, because you're going to have to ban 360 and then you're going to have to start looking at, I don't know. I don't know. I, I will say this. And I think we've put a, a lid on it after this. Cause we could just go around in circles on oh, this. Yeah. Uh, every other major sport has limitations on technology when it comes to standardizing the field. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that Rory McIlroy still can't hit it 35 yards further than the average guy in the field, but it does mean that he's hitting the exact same golf ball in the exact same club 35 yards further. Yep. I am of the opinion, and I don't think I've ever stated this before, that it needs to be standardized in bass fishing. It is the wild west right now when it comes to it. And I understand the benefits of the wild west, but guess what? In order to, to make a civilized society with laws and rules, when the gold rush happened, the wild west had to exist for people to go, Hey, we can't have shootouts in the damn streets. We can't have brothels on every corner. We need to do some standardization of what is societally allowed and not. And then laws happen and everything happened and boom, we became a society. But before that's what they mean when they say it was the wild West. And right now we are in the wild West of this technology and it's only natural that it will become standardized and it will become limited in some shape, form or fashion. And I think that's good. Yeah. Well, that, I just, I'm grateful that I'm not on the other side of this where I'm fishing professionally. I'm very happy that I'm here on the content side. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a little bit less, uh, I don't have to necessarily worry about it too much. I just kind of react based on what everyone else kind of does. Am and, I out in left uh, field on that? Does that not make sense? I mean, so this thing, I don't, I, I'm very like, I don't know. There's like, there's all these slippery slope arguments. There's all these things of like, okay, if they ban that, they then bat like yeah. there are other bait categories they need to go back and ban. Should they go back? Cause it gets to a point where a glide, they come up with a glide bait. That's so realistic or whatever that it just catches all the fish. So it's like, okay, then you ban that. And like, once you start the banning, yeah. it, you kind of get out of control. Too, Listen, so I, I, I won't that. say who this was, but when bass was going through the umbrella rig, their first version I guess this is roundabout. This might not be exactly how it went down, but this is how it went down behind the scenes. I won't say any names. Their first version where they said this trip was still running it. They said, this is what you can and can't use. Someone called them up and goes, uh, trip. You just banned a spinner bait. Like, they said, based on this definition, you just banned a spinner bait. And they're like, well, golly, I guess, I guess we did. We got to go back and tweak that. So I don't think it's going to be like a one version, one thing fits all. It's going to take a while. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Fishing is pretty new sport too. You know, we always talk about that. It's not like it's that been around that long. So there's going to be changes. And I don't know, personally, 
my thing is if I think we should be always thinking about the average angler. That's how I always think about it. And I kind of lose sight of that at times because, you know, I, I focus yeah, on what is the average angler? angler, but it's like thinking about people who go out and try to go. They really people just want to go out and try to catch more fish in, in the majority. Yeah. Um, and it's figuring out how do we find the balance there. And it's um, I say out of all of that, there's other people. If you're going to watch other content about opinions, there is opinions. I again, I'm not an opinion person. I just uh, I try to make cool stuff and try to figure out what to do with the uh, rules and the information in place. So that's kind of my, Oh, I, I know I'm kind of getting opinionated on this. I'm just trying to get your opinion, Matt, because it's fun to hear. Yeah, No, you do a great job. My opinion changes. One day I'll wake <laughs> up then the next day I'll wake up. I don't think there is a right, but I mean, I think there's a very healthy and unhealthy discussion going on about it right now. Yeah, for sure. And I'm not really sure why it decided to kick off right now either. That's the other thing. It was just like you woke up one day and everyone was just ticked off. Dude, views, YouTube views. That's the color. That's the root of all evil. <laughs> See, we know we didn't do this for YouTube views because we waited for an hour and 30 minutes in to talk about it. We would have led with it if it was strictly for the YouTube views. For sure. Thanks for Johnny, having me on that. Appreciate it. I greatly always. appreciate it. That was awesome. Uh, always a great talk. This has been another edition of BTL with Johnny Schultz. Stay tuned to BassZone.com for the schedule for the remainder of the week. Like I said, I'm on the road for the next couple weeks. Busy schedule. I got the St. Jude Bass Classic, two Bassmaster Opens, and then another Bassmaster Open in Florida all before, uh, before the second week of October. So that's all we got for today. We'll talk to everybody later. See ya.